It goes this way. In the last English-British census, almost 400,000 wrote Jedi as being their official faith. However, the, the British Office for National Statistics refused to give sanction making an official religion in Great Britain. The story goes like this. The sentence form, form asked all the respondents to fill in a box for the major religions of the United Kingdom. There was also a blank space marked for any other religion, and more than 391,000 people filled in the blank with Jedi because of an intensive internet campaign telling the Brits to claim the Star Wars-related faith as being their religion. There had been a rumor in circulation that if Jedi was written at least 10,000 times, it would become known as an official religion. The rumor was a huge lie, however, and more English people had claimed Jedi as their faith than those who claimed to be Jewish, Buddhist, or Sikh in their religious faith. And so when you think about our culture and what shapes our culture, now there's the Temple of the Jedi Order, the International Church of Jediism, and uh, they're a Jedi church. They, if you go on their website, they've got quite a following, and there's 380 sermons listed on their website if you want to listen to Jediism. And I guess my, my challenge this morning, as we talk about growing in Christ and moving forward in Christ and becoming who we're supposed to be in Christ, I, I want to just ask you, who, who's shaping your worldview, and who's shaping your faith, and who's uh, putting in your core values or helping establish your core values in a culture that's going so many different directions with so many different voices. I want to challenge you this morning as we're looking at First, or First John chapter 2 again and talking about growing in our faith. Ask yourself, who's impacting your belief system? Who's the one? What, what factors, what forces are having an impact in, in how you believe and how you're raising your family and how you're impacting your workplace, impacting your community, and even impacting our church. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a person of courage? Do you want to be a person of political correctness? This just kind of blows with the trends and blows with whatever's popular, whatever's trendy in our culture. Is that the, the kind of person you want to be raised up to be? Do you want to be a self-focused, self-centered person that you're living for you? Or, or is there a part of you that says, man, I, I want to grow as a believer, as a follower of the Lord, and I want generosity to be one of my core values and kindness to be a core value and uh, integrity to be part of a core value and being able to stand up for truth. I want that to be part of a core value. And when we talk about growing up in Christ... For us, it's, it's taking inventory and, and, and asking ourselves, what kind of people do we want to be? And then accordingly, those choices and those things follow. Because growing or maturity comes when you stop making excuses and you start making changes. Ouch, let's read that again. Maturity comes when you stop making excuses and you start making changes. Amen? And so for... for some of us, as we've been in the Lord a while, some of us are brand new. Last week, we talked about that, what it means to be babes in Christ or children in Christ and the value of that. And now we're going to talk about how to move forward and, and some of those things that have to do with the maturing process. So let's look at this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm reading in the Amplified, but this is 1 John 2. And we began looking at it last week because John mentions these three different stages of growth. He mentions three, three different stages that we might find ourselves in, and it doesn't really as much have to do with 
the numerical age, but more spiritually, where we're at. Spiritually, what we're, uh, what we're involved with or, or what we're standing for. And so in 1 John 2, 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, believers or dear ones, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. You've been pardoned and released from spiritual debt through his name because you've confessed his name, believing in him as the Savior. Last week, we picked two stories from the Gospels. One, we picked a woman that that was just forgiven. She was probably a streetwalker, probably part of the prostitution trade. And she came to Jesus, and she received tremendous forgiveness, so much so that in gratitude, she washed his feet with with her hair and her tears and, and poured out expensive perfume upon him. Then we looked at the story of the Gadarene, the demonized guy who spent his whole life in shame and isolation, and when his sins were forgiven, it radically, radically changed his life. It launched him in a whole new direction. And so when John says, I'm writing to you, he, he, little children, he's saying, hey, you got to know the power of being forgiven. You got to know what it is to get a fresh start as believers, that your spiritual debt's been lifted from you. And we need to live in appreciation, not forget where we came from and how broken things could have been when God redeemed us. Amen? Anybody? And so he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. You need to remember that. And uh, I'm writing to you, fathers, those believers who are spiritually mature because you know him who has existed from the beginning. But today, we're going to talk about this other group. I'm writing to young men and young women, those believers who are growing in spiritual maturity because you've once been victorious and have overcome the evil one. He goes on and repeats again, second part of 13, I've written to you children, those who are new believers, those spiritually mature, because you've come to know the love of the Father or the Father's heart. 14, I've written to you fathers because you know him who's existed from the beginning. But today, we're gonna focus on I've written to you young men because you're what? Strong and vigorous and the word of God remains always in you. Have you been victorious over the evil one by accepting Jesus as savior? And so he, he sets this aside and he starts giving characteristics of what he would define as somebody that would be maturing or somebody that would be in the young man process or growing up process. And I look across the church and I, I see those that are born again and just newly saved and, and most of them are excited about their faith, lots of questions, trying to, trying to figure out what it means to live, you know, Monday through Saturday as a believer and not just Sunday morning. Uh, there's a young guy from the North County we met several times and another guy from Cal Poly we met again this week and, and just how to live out your faith in a practical sense where you're, you're not just getting into some religious works thing, but you're actually growing and knowing the Lord and having a relationship with him. That, that's part of this thing. But the second part is when we start growing up and we start maturing, we're starting to make decisions about overcoming that we, we just, I'm glad we're saved by grace, aren't you? By faith through grace. I'm so glad for grace. I'm so glad for mercy. But then there's a point in our lives where we, we, we start coming to place. I got to make decisions towards my maturity. I'm going to make decisions about growing in God, growing in Christ. There's lots of voices and lots of pull and lots of things we can be involved with. But when we get intentional, because we're thinking eternally, we're not just thinking 80 years on the earth. We're thinking eternally. We're not just concerned about pensions and what's going to happen when we're retired. No, we're thinking eternally. We have to say, how, how can I reorient my life 
And how can I sow into my family so there's really spiritual maturity coming out of my family? Not just, uh, you know, talented architects and, and accountants and those kind of things. No, those things are important, but how can I spiritually nurture my family? How can I help them mature? Because these are eternal things we're talking about. How can I, what can I do intentionally in my own life that I'm not just staying a baby Christian, getting tossed around by this and that, but there's, there's no matter what's happening out there, there's something happening in here that keeps me from just getting blown around and tossed around and up and down and depressed and then high, excited, and, and keeps me off the roller coaster. There's a maturing that's happening in here that is affecting me on the inside, but it's also growing so it has impact on the outside and the culture around me. And I think that's one of the, the works of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? First, he takes us out of the old and begins working to pull out the old because he's bringing us into the new. And he's got an eternal work, an eternal purpose that he's trying to develop in us. And uh, when you and me start cooperating with that and making decisions concerning those things, we're going to see the spiritual growth. So little children, your sins are forgiven you. That's the hope part that when we're, before we're saved, some of us came to Christ because, man, things were hopeless. Some of us came because we hit our low or, or we looked around and we didn't see satisfaction in things around us and you heard about this God and this kingdom and the Father who loves you and hope filled your heart. And so, you know, you came to him as little children, but this part, young men and women, you're strong and victorious, vigorous, victorious. You've overcome the wicked one and the word of God abides in you. This is about faith. This is about growing in trust. This season of life is about learning to less of me and how do I surrender and allow more of you, God, to work in my life. This stage of our life sometimes requires us to take risks, to step out on an unsure foundation for tomorrow. We, we're not exactly sure what it looks like. But when God's training people and going to this next level, often I'm seeing them challenged in their faith. They're challenged in their foundation, but they're also challenged to take risks. They're, they're being challenged, men and women, to, to, to do some things that are out of their comfort zone because God's calling them to grow up into victorious people. And guess what? If you call yourself an overcomer and you've never stood and faced and battled, then I'm wondering where you got the definition from. Because when I hear the word overcomer, it means you've had to stand in front of something or face something and overcome it. Amen? Tell your neighbor you're an overcomer this morning. So what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be on this list as the, the strong or vigorous or victorious? Anybody with me this morning as overcoming the wicked one? That's what, that's what John defines as somebody who's maturing in the Lord. They're not just being battered by habits of the past. They're not just always being tossed around by just the appetites of their flesh, but there's something changing where the grace of God, the strength in God's increasing on the inside, and they're making a stand against some of the stuff on the outside. You're with me this morning. This is what one pastor wrote. He said, the Greek word commonly translated overcome in the Bible carries no surprising meaning. It simply means to win a victory, to stand victorious over the enemy. And it pretty much means the same thing that the English word overcome means. But having established that, what is overcoming in a biblical sense? How does a Christian overcome? And why must we overcome? Well, to overcome in the biblical sense means to live in the victory of Jesus Christ. It means to live in victory over the old nature and live in victory under the new nature. 
To overcome in Christ, I must appropriate in practical living the victory purchased by Jesus through his redemption. Never confuse overcoming with being saved. I'm saved all at once by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But once I'm saved, I must then work out my salvation. I must, through a series of lifelong choices, allow the redemption which saves me to grow to possess me. I become a personification of grace in my practical living. Overcoming, by definition, involves warfare. I must stand in the victory of Jesus Christ, refusing the old and yielding to the new. I must do this, for God will not do this for me. He that overcomes is qualifying mark given to those who are to reign and rule with Jesus Christ. So once again, you know, I started mentioning Star Wars, and, and one of the reasons I picked Star Wars, because the more I look around and see why, how our culture ab- abides their time, I feel like there's a fight in us. There's, there's a fight in you and me. There, we, we've been trained to fight. Uh, mentioned Star Wars, there's millions of watch it, and they're resonating with using the force to defeat or overcome the dark side. There's this other thing that's really popular. Many of you could probably play in it. I know. I, I hear it through guys in our church. Modern warfare, there's 15 million copies of it. There's all kinds of different Call of Duty uh, video games out there, 30 million people playing them. I mean, we, we've been, we have warfare on the inside of us. UFC has taken off in our culture. We see conflict. We, we know what it means to engage and to battle. We, we're sports people. Our culture is filled with competition. And so on the inside, I truly believe that God has made us for war. He's made us to be people that stand, and he's made us to be the, the people that uh, know how to overcome, to stand in conflict, to battle. That's part of our culture. The, the problem is the war's got a little mixed up. And the goal of what we want to do and who we want to be has got mixed up. Now, I want to challenge you with this. This is Daniel chapter 1. Here's these guys that were raised in a culture so contrary to what they were uh, used to. They were Hebrews raised around, you know, the commandments, raised around Judeo values. And here they are taken captive in a culture that's so foreign to them. And some of us feel like that. Sometimes situations I get in and conversations I hear, it just seems like our kingdom culture is so contrary to the culture around us. And yet these guys made some choices of who they were going to be. These guys made some decisions about where they were going to stand and the difference they were going to make. These guys decided to overcome even the mandates or the the instructions of these Babylonian trainers. And this is what happened to them. Daniel 1.17, as for these four guys or four men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all kinds of literature and wisdom. Who gave them the skill? God gave it to them in all kinds of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood all kinds of visions and dreams. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them, what, 10 times better than all the learned magicians and enchanters in the whole realm. When I read this, this thing just encourages me and challenges me at the same time because I think about this God who makes covenant with people. And in a culture that's going so many directions and so many different voices and so many pulls and and influences, there's people that make covenant with God. Daniel was one of them. And his his four, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, his three friends and beyond, they make this covenant with God. And God decides because they've determined we're going to be your people, God. 
We're, we're going to try and live like, life like you. We're going to overcome that he makes this covenant and he pours out wisdom on him and he pours out understanding on him. And scripture uses the, the label 10 times better. There's something that flows in these guys that's not flowing around them. And man, if there's not a season for the body of Christ to be overcomers and to walk in that kind of wisdom and strength and insight and, uh, and covenant with God, I don't know of a, a, a better time to do it than right now. Anybody with me this morning? The, the world needs to see men and women marked by the wisdom of God, marked by the strength of God, not us being quiet and backing up and, and going sideways, but that we would be marked and know and, and have his, his hand on us because we've chosen to walk as overcomers and not just be conformed and to be tossed around by the culture around us. So let, let's just talk a little bit about this, this idea of overcoming. You know, th- this fight that's in us that sometimes, you know, and, and we're competitors, and I know many of you are playing sports now, some of you are in CrossFit competitions. I mean, there's, there's people here in our cultures, we're working on training the physical man. But on the inside, that, that, that fight on the inside sometimes is not well-defined. That fight on the inside that, that says, I'm, I should be training my spirit man. There's things I need to do to train my spirit man to flow with God, to, to hear God's voice, to obey, obey and respond to God. I, I don't know if I see that training. And I've been challenged more and more lately, even as what it means to make disciples and what it means to mentor and what it means to help people in, in their just spiritual growth more than just the financial things that are going on, the physical things that are going on. How about men and women of God rising up for this season? Amen? Amen. So to overcome the, the idea that there's battles we face and things we fight. Uh, some of you around uh, several years ago when John Eldridge wrote Wild at Heart, and he put in it there, deep in his heart, in every man's heart, there's, there's, a, there's a longing for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And it resonated in the hearts of millions of guys. They sold four million copies the first release of the book, and I'm not sure how it's done since. But this idea that I am made for overcoming, I am made for battle, I am made for victory, I am made to make a stand, I am made to make a difference, I am made to stand up and not just be tossed around by just my flesh and just being overwhelmed by the circumstances of life or pushed by the winds of the culture. No, I am called to be different. I'm called to make a stand. It resonated in the hearts. And I know we did a series here and used it as part of our theme for men's camp. And uh, that idea that you're strong, that you're victorious, that you can overcome the enemy, that the word of God abides in you, those are the definitions that, that the gospel or the gospel writer, the letter writer here, John, made to the people around him and to the young men and women that were in his care. These are the characteristics you need to stand for. This idea that God has given us and put a, a fighting heart in us, we can find it in the book of Judges. And when he was taking the children of Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land to take their, their promised cities, there were some of them that never knew battle before. And so they were conquering and driving out the, the enemy and driving out the inhabitants that God called squatters, essentially. They were driving out before him those people that were the counterfeits that had the land that God had promised. He, he said there, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Cana. And he did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Wow, to me, that's... Uh, 
that's kind of a, uh, uh, maybe contrary to some of our theology, that there's good and bad, and everything God does is good. And, and in this, one of the things God did that was good, he taught his children how to fight. He taught his children, his nation of Israel said, I'm bringing you into a promised land. I'm going to teach you how to do battle. I'm going to teach you how to overcome. I'm going to teach you not just to be ran over by the enemy, but how to stand and how to fight and to do it God's way. Amen? You know, studying this, yesterday morning I got up and I was all prepared to, to study. And right when I opened my Bible, Jan's away at retreat. I'm there by myself just having a good morning and a cup of coffee. And this overwhelming, like overwhelming, it was spiritual. It felt like it was coming in from every window of my house. Just this outpouring spiritual, like pressure and uh, hopelessness. And I mean, it was wild. It was just a wild spiritual attack. I'm sitting in the chair and I'm rocked. And I'm feeling like the, the, the pressure of political things and economic things and things that other pastors have shared with me. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there just like, wow, the pressures of the culture. Jesus said in the world you would have tribulation. There would be pressures. But Jeff exhorted. He told us to take courage because he's overcome it. And so I had an opportunity to exercise yesterday morning what I'm preaching to you this morning. I had an opportunity. Part of me just wanted to escape, to go off. I'm going to get on my scooter and go down the beach, just hang out. Part of, part of me just didn't want to even sort out the things that were coming. I just wanted to turn and go do something else. I'll call up my brother. Maybe he'll go and we'll, we'll do something. I, I just wanted to get out of it. But there's part of me that just said, God, this is, this is the battle in the atmosphere. And I'm feeling it right now. My friend Ron Salisbury went home to heaven, and I talked to his wife this week, and different things that, you know, the grief and stuff that just came that was so real. And it's part of everyday life, but it was just like this little storm came on me sitting in the living room. And I have a choice just like you have a choice. And I, I didn't do it just because, oh, good, I'm preaching on it tomorrow. This is going to be a perfect illustration. No, I did it for survival, I, I, I got up and I had to just start talking out loud. And I don't know if the neighbors heard me. I don't really care. I just started talking to myself on who God is to me and how faithful God has been and the, the strength and the, the abilities that, that come from walking with him and having a covenant with him and knowing in him there's strength and in him there's protection and in him there's counsel and in him there's life and in him there's an anointing that comes from on high. In him there's hope. In him there's, there's resurrection life available to us. And I tell you what, I don't know how long I did that, but I've had to preach myself happy, just like you do sometimes. Sometimes I got to preach to the man in the mirror, just like you do. I'm an overcomer. Scripture says I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And so I have to remember that just like you do in the culture we're in. John says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong, you're vigorous, and you've overcome the wicked one, and the word of God dwells in you. He exhorts us to think and see in ourselves in those terms, in that light, and that warfare is real. Amen? And the battle's real. Read this with me. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What? Our faith. So this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who what? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is one of several keys in Scripture to overcoming. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith.
Now, this week I met with some guys. They're part of the Global Sharing uh, Gathering International, and they're doing discipleship in a new way, in a simple way, in many parts of the world. And uh, they challenged me this week with just th- this idea of letting the Word of God speak. Let victory come from the Word of God. And so dissecting it and, and looking at it, because I write to you young men because you're strong and the, what? the word of God abides in you. The victory is faith in the word of God that's in us that brings us the victory. And so they helped with just this really simple little Bible study tool that makes a huge difference. And this is about getting the word of God in you. And you know if it's in you because when trials come, it's what comes out of you. Does the word of God come out of you? Does the promises of God come out of you? And so, you know, in him, we have, he's victorious, he's our counselor, he's our helper, he's our deliverer, he's our strengthener, and he's our guide. In him, we have access to those things. But our responsibility is what? To believe and to surrender and to resist and to repent and to turn and to flee and to put off and to rest. Say rest. That's that's a good part of it. So there's his part and our part. Now, how do we get our part in us? How do we get the word of God in us? How do we get those things in us so we can do our part to resist, surrender, believe? So here we're going to break this down. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. I I just want to show you this little exercise. This three-part thing to getting the word of God in you Just on a piece of paper, right at the top, what does God's word say about the circumstances you're facing or your situation? What does God's word say? So on that left side there, I just wrote out this this passage. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. On on the left side, just clearly, this is the passage we're going to study. This is the, the promise that we have to cultivate, to allow to come alive in us. And so the next part, number two, as you go across the top, the, the second thing you write is rewrite the meaning for it. What, what is it speaking to you? So these guys are three of us together. We reread in three different translations what this promise was about. We used a different one. I'm using the one for today as an example. But we wrote, three of us shared in different translations what this promise was about. Then we just wrote it down as scripture tells us, whatever translations, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The second part, the middle part, is rewriting the meaning. What's it speaking to you? When God made this promise, what's he saying to you? What's the key things about it? So I just wrote, when you're born again by God's spirit, you get his nature. You are an overcomer. I wrote, your victory comes not by working for it, but by believing it, what he's done through faith. I wrote, if you believe Jesus is the son of God and grow in all that he did as God's son, you'll be transformed with his victories, his life in you, his spirit working in us. So that's the second part. You take a passage of scripture. You say, this is his promise. John said, you overcome because the word of God abides in you. How do you get it abiding in you? You you rewrite it and you say, God, what are you speaking to me through it? And then last but not least, how can I obey? Say obey. How can I obey and put this to practice? I put number one, I got to believe it. I got to believe that he's he's called me to be an overcomer. So some of the things that I've dealt with for years, some of the discouragement things that sometimes try and creep up or the comparative things that try and creep up or the competitive things that try and keep up and occasionally anger stuff that, that tries to creep in or tries to 
come upon me. Those things that some of them have been nagging at me for years. How do I fight it? I fight it by getting the word of God in me, promises around that, and I got to believe it. I put here, how can I obey and put this into practice? Number one, believe. Number two, study what was accomplished by the cross. I have to surrender my fear, my unbelief, my hurts, my unforgiveness, my lust. The thoughts that I have uh, tried to conquer and, and the, the things that try and bind me, I have to believe that the greater one has paid the price for those things to be lifted and broken off my life. My fart part is to believe, amen? And the last one is confess. Say confess. I have to confess that I'm more than a conqueror. I have to believe it. I have to let it come out of my mouth until it's working in me, until it's alive in me. So when John writes, young men, you conquerors, you overcomers, the word of God's abiding in you, let me ask you this. If, If you're not having victory, is the word of God in you? Are you letting circumstances dictate feelings and emotions, or are you applying and allowing the word of God to be strong in you, to abide in you, to make the difference? Got awful quiet in this church. I know. I I have to do it myself. I just put this, I just highlight a little bigger. Here's, Here's another promise. Let's read this together. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, if we were to dissect this same passage, here's a promise about peace. You might be rocked in your peace. You open up the concordance in the back of your Bible, and you start pulling out scriptures about peace. I know some of this is elementary to us, but I'd venture to guess some of the guys and gals that even been around a long time, because we think we know it, because we've read it thousand times, hundreds of times, to obey it is different. To take it, to break it apart and say, God, what are you saying in this? And what do I have to do to obey it? That's when you get the fruit of it. So in John 16, 33, Jeff quoted it earlier. If we break this down, these things I spoke unto you, read that in yellow with me, that in me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. On the left side, I would write out that scripture. But in the middle, I'd say, what's God speaking to me? Wow, in yellow, that in me, you might have peace. So in stuff I'm dealing with, in the circumstances, in bombarding or allowing just ongoing lately, just the, the competitive election stuff build up in me. I feel the angst over the battles. I feel the, you know, you want to engage in some of the arguments of the election, all that. And I feel like my peace has been challenged. Jesus said, in me. So I have to write in the middle, in me, in Christ, there's peace. And then how do I obey that? On the left side, how do I obey this scripture? Some ideas. How would I obey this? If I want it to be part of me and help me, how would I obey it? Come on, help me. Know the word. How do you keep yourself in Christ? How do you do it? Prayer, secret place, time in worship, time in thanksgiving. In me, you can have peace. In the world, outside there is tribulation. But then he said, be a good cheer. How can I be obedient in that? I just have to choose joy. I have to choose Thanksgiving, I have to choose praise. I have to choose lifting his name up, exalting him. I have to choose that. I can obey that by being of good cheer. You have a choice. You can be the sourpuss 
or you can be a good cheer. You can be the murmurer or the complainer, or you can be of good cheer. And he said, do that. And he, he exhorted us and promised us he overcame the world through it. Now, if, if he did those things, and I believe Jesus did, he kept his mind on the things above. He kept his mind on his purpose. He kept his mind that he was in the Father, that the, the, the things around him, the circumstances, the world were not going to dictate or control uh, how, he, how he finished his life or lived out his life. I believe he lived that way. And, and because he lived that way, he can say, I've overcome the world. Tell your neighbor, we can live that way too. We, we can live that way. Christ is in us. We can live with those same things in us. Couple things left, guys, because I thought mostly guys would be here today. And this comes up on a regular way. How, how about when you're fighting temptation? When you're dealing with temptation? How could you break this down? Let the word of God abide in you so you got something you could obey in the word of God. How could you break it down, this passage, so it would, it would have an impact? 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So if that was my ongoing struggle, and believe me, it's almost every week that we pray for somebody or I'm in a meeting or talking to young guys. Yesterday I got a request to be an accountability partner again on my email from different people that are just dealing with this. But if I was to take this promise or take this instruction from the Lord and I was to diagram it out, on one side I would write out, now flee from youthful lusts, and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What, what's the middle part? What's this scripture speak to you? Come on, help me. What? So you're not just fleeing, right? So you're called to flee, and it says now flee. So the hard part, some of us, we want to click and look and read for a little while before we flee. So it says now flee. So that means to stay on it when things come. Don't give place to it. Now flee from youthful lust. And you just don't flee, but there's the other part. If I was going to make this practical, I have to pursue. There's things I need to pursue. So in my heart, I'm making choices because I'm maturing and I'm an overcomer. In my heart, I'm making choices. I have to flee that now. Can't let it just ruminate. Can't let it simmer. I got to flee it now. And then I got to pursue. And there's things that I have to pursue. I have to pursue because I want to grow as just not a, a Jedi warrior, no, beyond that. I, I want to grow as a man of God. I, I want to grow in pleasing the Lord and seeing his favor in my house, and, and I do, and seeing his blessing, and I have. I want those things in my house. So I'm going to flee, and then I'm going to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. What else can we get out of that? I put it in yellow. With what? With those. There we go. Thank you. That's part, of the, that's part of the solution. So with those. So I'm not called to do this by myself because in secret and alone, lots of stuff can mess me up. But I'm, I'm called to flee. I'm called to pursue. But I'm also called to do it with those. Other, other guys that are heading the same way as me. Other guys that, that want to grow and be counted like the Daniel guys and not the, the just guys of the culture. Those guys that want wisdom to flow in their life and favor to flow in their life and blessing to flow in their life. And I was watching the Hillsong channel this morning and uh, 
the head of Hillsong's Australia, he was showing just this amazing architectural work that this guy has done. It's a three-story tower, and on top of it, this restaurant. It's a world-class building. And he was talking about this guy getting the wisdom of God to build that, how in a vision the Lord showed him what to do. It's world-class stuff that this guy's tapping into the wisdom of God to, to pull off. I don't know about you, but I need that kind of wisdom in this season. I need that kind of strength. I need that kind of help in our culture that when we say yes to the Lord and, and begin to pursue him, it's not by a works thing, but it's about deciding I'm in Christ now. I want to live my life through his power. I want to live my life with his help. I want that for my family. I just don't want my family to just be successful in business be successful with their grandkids and all that. No, I want them to be successful spiritually. I want them to be successful in God. So I have to make some decisions around that. And for my own personal victory, if I apply scripture and I say, it's obeying the scripture where the power is, it's doing how God told us to do it, that's where the results are, then this one, I have to flee and I have to pursue, but I gotta do it with others that are heading the same direction as me. Amen? Overcomers aren't perfect. This is Nancy Missler, Chuck Missler's wife. He said this, overcomers aren't perfect. They fail just like the rest of us, but they keep on getting up, keep on repenting, keep on being willing to surrender themselves to Christ and letting him, who's the only perfect one, work through them. So you'll be defeated if you're just always trying to do this by your own working and strength. But when we learn to surrender and submit and allow God and the work of his spirit to do things in us through the power and the working of his word in us, we're going to be victorious. Amen, church? This is, if, if I needed courage, here's a promise from, from Joshua. This is, if you're needing courage today, you said, these are one of my core values. This is the kind of guy I want to be. This is the kind of woman I want to be. I want to be a courageous person. Here's a promise. He said, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land that I've given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead the people to possess all that I, the land that I swore to the ancestors, and I'll give them. This is one of the promises right now when we're talking about transition and what's ahead and what's in the future. The, this is one of the ones that I'm meditating on and, and, and want strength from God. Give me insight, wisdom, which way to go, what do you want us to possess, and give me the strength and the courage to walk in that and to move in that direction. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that you were given. Don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you'll be successful in what you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it. So, so you will be sure to obey it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in what you're doing. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. You know, there, there's strength that comes from Scripture. When you take it and say, Lord, I want to apply this. Lord, it's, it's God-breathed. Lord, I need strength from your word. I need this to be reality to me, to walk in this. Anybody with me this morning on that? And that we don't want to neglect it. It says, when you accept the fact that your true identity, including being an overcomer, you'll never settle for less than a miracle. Craig Rochelle, he's part of the ARC movement. When you accept the fact that your true identity includes, say includes, being an overcomer, you'll never settle for less than a miracle. You never will. You believe that that's, that's your heritage, that's available to you, that's the promises of God towards you, that you can walk 
in favor with him and have the help of God, the strength of God, and uh, move forward in him. Amen? Read that with me. God is a deliverer, and you're an overcomer. Tell that to your neighbor. God is a deliverer, and you are an overcomer.